0: This is a special episode. We're going to take a look back to 9-11 and ask some questions and get some information that we may have forgotten or have never actually previously heard before. The thing is, I think we have to now look back. After what we just survived and what we just saw, everything must be questioned again. And I got Chris and Dan, who had spent a long time in the rabbit hole with this subject, to come on and share some information with us. And what I like about these boys is they come with receipts. And honestly, now, I always thought that it was 9-11 smelled. However, after this conversation and a little bit more background research myself, you'd have to convince me that it wasn't an inside job. As you can hear, my voice is still a bit crackly, so I'm going to keep moving. Not sure what song we're going to put on. For this one. I know the boys enjoy a bit of hilltops, we might do it, might do that for them. Remember we're on Patreon, unlocking the code, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, unlocking the code. Any support you can send our way would be greatly appreciated. Please look after yourselves, stay safe, be kind, be cool, and we'll talk soon. Cheers.
1: Never cleared the skyline and anger cloud of judgments. So they spent a thousand nights, times in the desert of fighting something that they couldn't find. That made us something that they couldn't find. Left us all lamenting, all the wrongs that they couldn't right. This is for the second time I've been in before. From Vietnam to Saddam, we always needing a war. Neo conservatives so was up love yet calm. The, the fingers on the trigger, we won't be here for long. Well, they killed MLK and they named the day after him. They killed JFK and then the near I've to some giant, shot, him also could regret so he could burn the McConley dirty fast if only he'd known. he know We testing nukes in the atmosphere for seeing the, the dirt And they tested all these missiles just to see if they work Now France got him, Russia got him, India or Pakistan, Korea, wanna states one pointed at the Taliban, Brand and Afghanistan, sands of the Arab lands, orders from portable boot commands and I'm a caravan. sitting at 3G, saying la phone, it's a real killer. Many cells in their homes and we admins Fondi, Casey, Son of Sam, Macarino, Superman, Chicken Dance, Running Man, Generation X, and Generation Y, and the Generation X will degenerate and die Cause We got holes in the ozone that we put there ourselves, now the poles are a no-go words, cooking a cell. but we can't look at ourselves. We can saline, Botox, 18, plate tense 19, detox, don't stop, get it, get it, can't afford it, get it. a credit bite spend a try it, getting get Then you better shout it out, swing, block or two East coast, west coast, fetch or fifty. That's the shifty. Mine, lady Tony, Blair, a princess, i Some say cause she got dirty there. Well I'm keeny. Hall can I promise on no the children in poverty? Wish I could have been honest. We had Abbott and Costello. Why bring overlords? Promises and children. They you on both overboard, overboard. Refugees sworn into a group. Home or jail for the crime. Looking for a new home. Overside, Henry's side right. and tired, genocide. Now, Cambodia, exercise what we're worth, but I'm all bearer, more terror, more unjust, such as seizures, I try a win, came and claimed the coast of Indonesia, Wakes in Iran, Japan, and California, greenhouse gas, turned the world into a sauna, the trauma of mortars, martyrs, slaughters, of partners, mourners, fathers and daughters, they chased us, corners, us, numbered us, disorders, raped us, scorned us, to break us, they bought us, The world kid for captains of industry, uprising industry, corruption in the ministry, a blowjob brought about the fall of the dynasty, an MP3 saw the fall of an industry, double population, half accommodation, carve the resources and we start the poorer nations, Beirut, Chechnya, all hell broke loose, Berlin, 1989, man, a wall fell, Cold War, dead it, but that didn't stop, Marshall's shells, Waco, let up the sky like burning oil wells, a world laid waste with addiction Tell all world truths strange and affection Big brothers on post, second like TV and on cable Reality sounds scripted, celebrities for sale Jeopardy in jail, seized the Remedies and penalties for failed CEOs We had the end on collapsing, white collar climbing Vessels they were taxed, a dollar for the The blue chip companies and blue sky mines We no longer choose sides, we choose sidelines try to deny, then deny for and the Government and on which we try to rely Boys, it's worth us till it hurts, chasing lie after lie Astronauts trace, set up high in the sky They let it on the moon, can't seem to return them. make some question if they ever been. As you walk into the sun,
2: welcome back. It's early in the refinery, which makes it afternoon in the US of A, and I'm joined by Dan and Chris. How are you boys doing this morning, okay? Well, it's morning, it's morning for me. It's afternoon for you boys.
3: <laughs> doing great. Yeah, yeah doing good.
2: Yeah, so I'm coming to you from the future. It didn't get better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're here to discuss this morning, boys. We've sort of been having a bit of a bounce around before we turn the mics on to, to get the vibe up. We're here to discuss 9-11. Now, I think both of you in previous episodes mentioned where you were on 9-11. We don't have to go into that. I want to jump straight into, because I mean, there's, there's no doubt I was having a discussion with a guy the other day about, and we're old enough, right? Judging by everybody's gray hair, we, you know, don't tell anyone, but we were around when 9-11 was there. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and the, the society that existed prior to 9-11 was not as fear-based in the slightest as it was after 9-11 and, for the next 20 years, culminating in the, you know, Fight Club. We can't talk about Fight Club, but remember that? Remember the chaos that happened for the last three years? (laughs) No one wants to talk about it anymore. Um, However, there's a definite shift there. And I think one of the things that sort of broke my mind a little bit late last year, uh, and I had to step away from the COVID stuff, is because it came became pretty clear to me that this was a plan, right? This, there's, there's been a plan and a narrative in play. You would probably say pre-World War One, I, I would say, or before, like we're talking about Rockefeller and his cronies, I think. Uh, and, you know, part of the stuff that's coming out down under is that they've actually been manipulating health policy and procedure in this country, it seemed to be in preparation for what happened over the last couple of years, right? We've got a couple of really good senators down here that are digging and that what they're finding is not very pleasant. So we have to review. I mean, I remember you know, personally, 20, uh, you know, 21 years ago now, right? Cause that's right. Cause the, the Democrats handled the uh, leaving Afghanistan. So gracefully this time last year. Um, and, like, there was so much stuff that happened at the time that a lot of people won't remember. A lot of people don't think about it. But there's some weirdness around it. And you boys piqued my interest. Uh, and I want a deep dive. So I'm just going to pull your string, and you boys are going to go. And we'll I'll see you guys in a, in a couple of hours. <laughs> All right? Um, so, Dan, you wanted to start because I think there's got to be – because it happened so long ago and it's become part of the zeitgeist, there's a lot of things that people don't remember that make this very fishy. Okay. You know, bullshit smells. And this, this did smell for us way back then. Uh, However, I think the, the devastation and the the manipulation of media back then was very interesting because it was 24 seven, every single channel for a couple of weeks. Right. I, I can remember that. You know, and there was not as many channels as back then as there is now, but there was nothing you could see on any media platform, which was all we had back then. Remember, remember for the younger audience, this is, I think we had Nokia 3310s back then, you know what I mean? Like the indestructible phones, but there was no news. There was no, we didn't spend a lot of time surfing the internet unless that was part of our job. Um, but every TV channel was just flat out. And I think for me, it's like, you know, we got – it was supposedly the Taliban, right, I think was the was the play, is the story.
0: Right, the Taliban bombed us. We're going to go to Iraq. What?
2: for weapons of mass destruction that weren't there. Oh, okay. Right, so, I mean, there's so much stuff here that is surrounding that. Um, but, Dan, why don't you get us started, mate? Where do you want to start? I think we're starting with the nice Bush, Bush family. Is that where we're going or where do you want to go, mate? What's going on?
4: No, I I think that's a good place to start. And I just wanted to say, like, congratulations on getting me to speak publicly on this topic. Um, Mm -hmm. This is one of those (laughs) ones where it's hard because uh, so much of the evidence was conveniently destroyed in the attack that Mm. uh, a lot of the discussion, you know, really tends to, to veer circumstantial. Um, so I think that, you know, fortunately me and Chris, we've been friends for a long time and we lived through this together and spent a lot of time getting to know how we thought about this and getting to see how, what we were picking up on. And so, you know, I'm really excited to be having the conversation with the three of you guys today, cause I really enjoy talking to both of you. So, um, yeah, no, I think what I wanted to do was I really kind of wanted to step back at first just to kind of like lay some, my, some groundwork down because, I think when you jump right into 9-11, you know, it just gets dismissed as a conspiracy theory and people move on. But when you start to look at the Bush family as a whole and you start to understand where that family is rooted and what their role has been in global geopolitics, uh, you start to see a, a, you know, an algorithm that develops that's rooted in dark CIA uh, intelligence operations that have been going on since you know, World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the places I thought would make the most sense to start is just with, you know, good old Poppy Bush Prescott, who was, uh, you know, George HW's father and George W's grandfather. Um, and you know, he's a, he's a pretty interesting fellow. He, uh, he was a union banking corporation founder, which was an investment bank that operated as a clearinghouse for many of the assets and enterprises held by German steel magnet, uh, Fritz Thyssen, I believe his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a deep supporter financier of the Nazi party. And with his steel companies, he helped build the Nazi war machine. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, Bush was the director of the bank um, well after America's entry into the war, which by any other standard of any other person would make them a traitor to the country and an enemy of the state. Um, except he went on to to be very successful in American politics and business after that for some reason. Um, You know, in 1942, the United States seized the bank under the Trading with the Enemy Act and held the assets for the duration of World War II because it had been identified as a Nazi bank. Um, And then there's a journalist named Duncan Campbell, worked for The Guardian for a lot of years. He's pointed out some documents showing that Prescott Bush was a director and a shareholder of a number of companies involved with Fritz Thyssen. So not only was he a Nazi banker, but this guy was running finances for this Nazi, uh, you know, supporter and financier for years. So, I mean, deep roots into the Nazi party. I mean, it's not just one little bank here, you know, the guy's notorious in that respect.
2: Well, I think that needs to be, it needs to be said in both cases. I mean, in world war one and world war two, that, the the monetary shift, I suppose, in World War I, and you, you sort of spoke a little bit about that in our conversation, Dan, we were sort of doing Knights Templar stuff, but there was the, the wealth transfer from Europe to America during the course of World War I carried through to World War II, but in both instances, America was supplying to both sides, right? They were, they were supplying to both sides until, you know, obviously 1941 and 1917, I think, was when America entered World War I. Uh, mm-hmm. but up until that point, they were supplying both sides. There, there was no two ways about that because it was, it was about an exchange of material wealth and America was cleaning up, you know, they really were, uh, and the connections go back. It was Prescott Bush. Was he OSS as well? Or did he end up being part of the OSS? Cause I mean, that's the precursor to the CIA, isn't it? The OSS.
4: Yeah, he was. Uh, you know what's said about him. They don't go too deep, but what they what it does find him even on his Wikipedia page uh, is that he was essentially. Uh, uh, did t- he, he served in World War One. And then it says he got involved in intelligence in France during that time. Mm. So it's very murky. It doesn't say much. They allude to the fact he was an intelligence operator, mm. but they don't go deep into w- what associations he had. But when you step around and you kind of look at who he knew and what he was related to, the picture kind of starts to get clearer because Prescott Bush was among a, a group of a uh, at Yale University called the Skull and Bones, which obviously has produced presidents, CIA directors, everything uh, for years now. And while he was at Yale, um, he was in Skull and Bones with a guy named uh, Avril Harriman. Um, and together, those guys are supposed to be the guys from Skull and Bones that actually went and dug up Geronimo's skull. And according to legend, that skull is still used today in the ceremonies. Uh, that are held there at the school. And there's been some rumors that it was returned and it was never Geronimo's and all this other stuff. But, but Avril Harriman is an interesting figure because this guy became the democratic New York governor. He was a businessman, a diplomat, core member of a group of foreign policy elders known as the Wise Men. And uh, the Wise Men are fascinating. Walter Isaacson and Evan Thomas wrote a book about them uh, released on Simon & Schuster, in 1986. I mean, this is no conspiracy theory. These guys were the, uh, the elder statesmen responsible for the immediate post-World War II activities. So they developed the containment policy, which became the geopolitical strategy for the Cold War uh, to fight the, you know, the spread of communism. They crafted NATO. They developed the World Bank and they developed the Marshall Plan, which rebuilt and divided up the world under American Western rule. So you've got you know, these two guys are intimately involved with everything we understand about the world today these guys set up. And, you know, I mean, Prescott, he was a longtime Republican finance chairman and one of Truman's closest advisors and a really close friend of Nelson Rockefeller to get right into the Rockefeller connection right
2: away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
4: you know, it's, it's interesting in July, I think uh, 07 Harper's magazine published an article uh, by a guy named Scott Horton claiming that Prescott Bush was involved in the 1934 business plot which was that failed plan from the wealthy pro-fascist bankers, which was trying to trick uh, Smedley Butler into overthrowing FDR. Yes. And then, you know, we talked about that last time mm. where Smedley turned on them mm-hmm. and got them actually got a lot of them busted for it. But, but Prescott always managed to keep his name out. But, but it's floated out there. You got a Nazi banker, a pro-fascist, a business plot to overthrow FDR. And of course you got Prescott Bush most likely working in intelligence at the center of that, Uh, not able to prove, but definitely circumstantially possible.
2: Well, I mean, you know, it's, you could also look at, uh, so post a war, a pandemic came and there's some interesting stuff surrounding that potentially. And then we have a financial collapse, which leads into another war, right? Which, right, right. I mean, if you, like I've said to the students a few times, I mean, these books behind me aren't, but aren't there for show boys. You know what I mean? I, I I've i read a lot of that stuff and th- this is a process. And th- that was one of the reasons when I realized that this whole thing had been a plan for a long time, are they just repeating the process now? You know, like are we, we're up to, we we did, we did the pandemic thing. Right. And now, <clears throat> seems to be every second day I hear that the fiat's going to collapse out of you know out of different different groups um they're obviously they're pushing the economic side of things these days and you know what's going on in the background tension about war again, you know another global battle right and all yeah. of these things are very good for business. This is the point that people don't understand right this is the the, the exchange of wealth and the exchange of technology and all those things that happen behind the scenes when they convince us to throw bullets at each other is unbelievable and that was obviously and if we we dig into why did nine eleven happen you know part of it, that cycle is part of that cycle you know what I mean that's, absolutely that's, that's, that's I mean we
3: witnessed this, this boom and bust cycle is involves both um, sort of economic inflation and deflation, and then and then war, where you have countries essentially eliminating their inventory mm. um, of weapons, essentially, so they have to be restocked. If you look at World War II, I mean, that's essentially what World War II is, where they basically raised all of the European infrastructure so that it could be rebuilt. But before that is the process of wealth extraction. And that's, mm. you know, I think that's where we're at, at least right now in the United States, where... You know, you inflate the stock market, you inflate the currency, you inflate the housing market, and then you pull the rug out from under it. And then generally what follows once all of the wealth has been extracted is the war. Mm. Because you gotta knock everything down so you can rebuild it again, essentially. Mm. And it's sort of a never ending business cycle.
2: Wasn't is it wasn't it is it, is it Halliburton? I think is it Halliburton where they Halliburton? They had the contract to build the bombs to to bomb the places to get the contract to build the houses that were destroyed by the bombs that they built. I think is that isn't that yeah. how it, there was some sort of circular logic there? Well,
4: they something didn't like that. <laughs> they didn't build anything or do anything. They just subcontracted contracted out the contracts and made all the money.
2: Oh, no, like they just <laughs> they just collected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they didn't
4: actually do anything.
2: So Prescott, so where did so I mean, I mean, the thing about the bushes when you start digging into some of these conspiracy-minded stuff in all these old photos through the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, there's always a bush in the background, you know, whether it be junior, senior, Prescott, in all these press photos, there's, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a bush representative somewhere in the background in all of these photos. Uh, and obviously during our childhood, George Senior rose to power. He was the one that took us into Gulf one. Uh, and then, yeah, then his son rose to power in, in the two thousands. Uh I, I had to think about like George Junior. He was considered by and large a total fucking idiot until nine yeah. eleven. You know what he I mean? Was. He he was he was a, he was a laughing stock to the Western society, and he ended his reign as president pretty popular, from what I can remember. I, I don't. However, prior to nine eleven, he was he was an idiot, you know.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's it, it's a complicated thing. I think he had a height of popularity. By the end, people were so sick of Iraq that mm. you know he kind of went out the way he came in. But now he's been glorified post Trump.
2: Mm. So so yeah, they're definitely
3: talk- yeah they're definitely rehabilitating his image lately. Mm. Yeah.
4: Crying, but he keeps
2: fucking it up, so. Yeah, I've seen a few of his speeches.
4: It's like,
2: when we go and invade, I mean, Libya, I mean, Iraq, I mean, Afghanistan, I mean, oh yeah, you know, we, we, it doesn't, Just matter. Stop, buddy. Just it doesn't stop. matter. It doesn't matter, man. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, yeah, so Prescott is potentially involved in Secret Service stuff. He is a, a mover and shaker behind the scenes. I mean, what are we talking? We're talking Operation Paperclip. We're talking, as you say, the the divide and conquer of, of Western society post World War II. Uh, and then George Senior ends up running the CIA. Is that correct, Dan? Is that where we.
4: Yeah. So, speaking of pictures, great pictures with Bushes in the background, there's a great one I threw up on my Twitter today of uh, him being a Republican kingmaker, where he uh, essentially it's a young Richard Nixon. And he's got a hat on, and Prescott Bush is adjusting his hat for him like the fatherly figure he was to Nixon. So when you're talking Bushes, you're talking Nixon, just to be clear. Um, Yeah, 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 Chris, you know. Um, (laughs) I'm not a crook. Senior man. it, you know, because bear with me here, I'll just lay this foundation and then mm-hmm. we'll run wild with Absolutely. it. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. Keep going, um, man. I love it. I love it. You know,
4: Herbert Walker was a Navy pilot during World War II. He flew lots of combat missions, extensive combat experience. So he was no slouch when it came to wartime. Um, and after the war, uh, you know, is right when the CIA transitioned from the OSS to the CIA. And interestingly enough, another guy that Prescott went to school with and was a bonesman, was a guy by the name of uh, Truby Davison. And he was uh, the first personnel director of the newly formed CIA. So you've got uh, Bush seniors or HW's dad is best friends with the guy coming in and building out personnel for the CIA. And all we really know about HW at that point is that he got involved with a variety of petroleum companies. But was most likely recruited directly out of Yale into the new form CIA um, and then running operations. Because when you look at his resume, the claim is that he never had any contact with the CIA until he became director, which we all know is complete bullshit. There's so much evidence that he was that it's never ending. So when you kind of back up and look at it a little bit, you see that uh, uh, he moved to Texas after Yale, most likely after uh, forming that relationship with the CIA. And from 48 to 52, he works for various oil companies through his dad's connections. And then he gets involved in Republican politics. Um, in 53, he co-founds a Zapata Petroleum Corporation, which goes on later to become Pennzoil. Um, and then in 54, he was named president of Zapata Offshore Company, which was a subsidiary specializing in offshore drilling, which focused their operations in the Caribbean and had rigs right off the coast of Cuba. So interestingly enough, when you jump into the Bay of Pigs invasion during Kennedy, you find that the Bay of Pigs invasion is for some reason called Operation Zapata, most likely because it was ran off the oil rigs off of Cuba, um, which has just got George H.W.'s fingerprints all over it. He was literally probably the CIA guy running Cuban operations off that rig because he was the director of that company. So at the very least, he spent a lot of time there. You know what I mean? It's like, that part's clear and seems so
2: seems to be a fairly good uh uh career progression too you hear about a lot of these guys, right It's like they go to college, they oh, yeah. join an oil and gas company or a petroleum company, all of a sudden that petroleum company makes billions of dollars right, and then they then they go and join politics for some reason right or or government sections where they only make a hundred grand a year, but they're worth three hundred million dollars like it's, it seems to be a fairly <laughs> That's a fairly standard progression, and that's that's globally too. I mean, it's, obviously we're we're picking on the U.S. today. However, don't think that that doesn't happen everywhere. Um, you know, just as an aside, and we won't we won't divert. However, the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison down here turns out before because he was being ousted last year because he's a numpty. Uh, he swore himself in to five other ministerial portfolios before he left office and so here we are we fast forward six months later it's like oh yeah i'm the minister for health he's the minister for fucking everything right but then he's like i didn't do anything wrong the prime minister approved i was like mate you were the prime minister like (laughs) like, he's like he signed his own documents you know what i mean so it's not like it doesn't happen everywhere this 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 these levels of corruption and it, it it is rife within Western democracy and has been for a very, very
3: long time. Um
2: so I think yeah. same's
3: true with the new the New Zealand Prime Minister as well. She had no material wealth to speak of when she took office. And then I read something where she's now just from holding the prime minister's seat, she's now a yeah, millionaire I mean, multi times over. Like, where yeah. did all this money come from?
2: Yeah, I think she's worth forty million or something like that, I think the numbers yeah. were. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> Pfizer. Um, sorry, what? <laughs> uh, anyway, boys. So yeah, so George Senior. I, I'm. It, I'm trying to think. I, I'm dragging stuff out from the from the back blocks of my brain, considering it's early in the morning for me. However, weren't the oil rigs the marker line in the Bay of Pigs? Like, weren't? Wasn't that once the once they crossed the line, I think the line was the oil rigs. So you're saying that the oil rigs were Zapata, which was George senior's. This is what we're saying.
4: Yeah, this is definitely where we were running these operations. And like, I know for those people out there listening that are familiar with operation 40, which was a well-known established, uh, central, you know, central intelligence agency, counterintelligence group composed of Cuban exiles, um, this group was formed to seize control of the Cuban government after the Bay of Pigs invasion failed. It um, was presided over by Richard Nixon at one point. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because when you look at Operation 40 and look at what they were doing, they were involved in sabotage operations and they were involved in assassinations. So, you know, one of the, the couple of the plumbers are, you know, one of the guys name is Frank Sturgis. He was well known to be associated with Operation 40 um, from the water. He was a Watergate burglar. And he told uh, an author, Mike Canfield, at one point, um, let me see, I got the quote here. The quote is, uh, this assassination group, Operation 40, would upon orders naturally assassinate either members of the military or the political parties of the foreign country that you were going to infiltrate. And if necessary, some of your own members were uh, suspected of being foreign agents. We were concentrated strictly in Cuba at that particular time. So the group was, like, trying to incite a civil war in Cuba and the government of Fidel. And in October 1960, they realized that this project had failed, and then um, they created a a new CIA-sponsored group uh, that went on to keep, you know, activate, keep kept active. But this led to Operation Mongoose, uh, which we talked about a little bit before, too, where there's terror operations, bombings, and wild assassination schemes to take Castro down, Mm -hmm. uh, which ultimately led to the Cuban missile crisis because Castro was so fed up that he reached out to Khrushchev and he's like, hey, man, I'm ready to put the missiles in. These Mm -hmm. fucking guys are trying to kill me down here. They're out of control. They're bombing my country. This Mm -hmm. is crazy. And that's when Khrushchev moved in, put the missiles in. And then Kennedy, I think at this point, started having to come to Jesus where he started realizing that all this stuff was very, very dangerous that he was playing around with. So when you look at the kind of series of events, you've got Kennedy, um, I think in April 61, he gives a secret society speech, basically pointing at skull and bones. Then he does his September 25th UN speech to end all war. And then he fires Alan Dulles for messing up Bay of Pigs, uh, who's the director of the CIA at the time. And then uh, uh, shortly after that, uh, a year or two later, uh, Kennedy's shot in the head. Right. So, interestingly enough, when I did a little digging into this, what I found was basically the answer to the Kennedy assassination. So nothing major. Oh yeah. You know, just, just the solving of that mystery.
2: We're not we're not breaking um, any 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 small things today. Yeah. So.
4: No, but it's funny because if again, so I'm sorry to kind of start to steal this here, Chris. No, no, no just trying to lay down this foundation for us to jump in um so what you've got during the assassination is you've got nixon and george hw both in dallas that day as well as howard hunt and frank sturgis who are cia operators and plumbers uh for the watergate scandal you've got former cia director richard helms writing an article in spotlight magazine on august fourteenth, 1978 claiming Howard Hunt was in Dallas that day and he was involved in the conspiracy that murdered the president. So Hunt sued Spotlight and the magazine and the magazine was found innocent because the trial was so convincing that the jury believed the magazine and not Howard Hunt. And during the trial and then also in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, in the house select committee of assassinations later comes Marita Lorenz who was, a CIA agent known to be the one who had an affair with Fidel Castro and was supposed to assassinate him, but it didn't work. So That's there was actually a yeah. movie made about her called My Little Assassin and everything. I mean, she's well documented. And then in 1977, Lorenz gets on the stand and she's talking to the Daily News and she explains how she met Lee Harvey Oswald in the fall of 63 at an Operation 40 safe house in Little Havana. And she met him again before the Kennedy assassination at a house in Orlando with Frank Sturgis and other Cubans. And then she said in the meeting, she was invited to take part and she studied Dallas street maps. Uh, They were suspected of, you know, she thought they were planning on raiding an arsenal. And then Hunt came in and was throwing some money and maps around. And then it became suddenly we were going to assassinate an American on American soil. And she talks about being in two cars, driving from Miami to Dallas that day, carrying rifles and scopes. And uh, when she realized what was going on, she got in a taxi, went back to Miami, got out of there. Sturgis came back to Miami and basically told her, according to her statement, that uh, she should have been there. They finally did the big one. They, they killed the president. And, you know, this got brought up in the Select Committee on Assassinations uh, and she was uh, essentially they considered her unreliable, even though after working for the CIA, she was working for the FBI. So the CIA, FBI, spy and informant and operator was suddenly unreliable when she said all of this to the select committee that day.
2: So see, just, let me let me get this straight. So she was OK to sleep with Castro and, and get to the highest realms of the Cuban government. Exactly. But but when it came to witness testimony, she was (laughs) unreliable.
4: Yeah, and Richard Helms, former CIA director, in that article in Spotlight, vouched for her, said he knew her, said she was an operator, said she worked for the CIA. I mean, he put his career on the line to make those statements that all point to this testimony that she gave, which essentially points all of the people involved in the CIA Cuban project which would have been overseen with, let's say in theory by HW mm. into the Kennedy assassination. So that was gonna to be my next him. question. The, the
2: George yeah. Sr. He was involved in all of this, wasn't he? He was he was he wasn't Operation at the head of the CIA, 4-5. was he? Was he at the head of the CIA yeah. by that time by sixty three? No, not?
4: no, 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 not officially yet. But yeah. but again, he's we know he's in Cuba, he's running Bay of Pigs mm. operation you know uh 40 is happening 1 year after Bay of Pigs so this is all going on during the same time and then if you look at the history of it you know that HW in 66 he had an unsuccessful senate run but he lands a congressional seat then in 71 he's brought into the white house with nixon who prescott bush put nixon, in place Nixon yes
2: that's what I was I knew yeah. he was with nixon that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah keep going
4: yeah And then Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis come into the White House behind H.W., and that's how the plumbers get set up, which work as a team protecting Richard Nixon and how he eventually goes down for Watergate, right? So then if you keep following the path in 73, he becomes the chairman of the RNC. In 74, he's the chief liaison officer to the People's Republic of China which we all know those liaison jobs are always CIA agents that are running those. So yeah, it makes especially sense in, that,
2: especially in countries like that, especially in a communist country, for sure. You're a point. Absolutely.
4: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's suspect that Bush is in China running CIA ops through the office of the people's Republic of China, you know, working as his chief liaison officer. Mm. And then that's in 74. And then in 76, he officially becomes a director of the CIA even though he supposedly has no history of being part of the CIA.
2: No, he's just a very upstanding citizen and he's, he served his yeah. country and I think there's no better person to run the CIA. Uh, you know, because of the, the history of the the excellent work that the Bush family has done for the American empire.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just gave a really good interview. That's all.
2: Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. It's just the resume, the CV was off the charts, man. It's unbelievable.
4: Yeah. And then Uh, after four years in CIA, he uh, he decides he's going to run for president because that's what he should do next. And uh, he gets his ass kicked by Reagan in the primaries, even though he's the one that rightfully calls out Reaganomics as voodoo economics and Reagan hates him for it. mm -hmm. So Reagan doesn't even want to consider him as a running mate. But then what happens is during the convention where they're trying to decide the running mate, Reagan gets cornered by all these Republican powerhouses to essentially force him to take on uh, HW as the vice presidential candidate. And this is all done in a backroom, smoky, you know, smoky room deal. Where he
2: In your best interest.
4: Oh yeah, of course. You know, and then one year after becoming VP and when Reagan's elected, uh, there's an attempt on uh, uh, Reagan's life, which is John Hinckley Jr. Uh, John Hinckley Jr.'s brother, Scott Hinckley, is an associate of the Bush family for a long time through Houston energy businesses in Denver, uh, and is a well-known oil businessman. And John Hinckley Jr. is a major political contributor. He donated a lot of his personal money uh, to H.W. Bush's campaign. So Nancy Reagan never liked the Bushes after this because she knew that there was an association between the guy who tried to essentially kill Reagan and make Bush the president, and so she never liked the Bushes after that. She was always secretive. And when Reagan, before Reagan adopted Bush, he referred to him once as that secret society guy, referencing his dirt, dark history in the CIA and his connection to skull and bones. Wasn't, so that, hated
2: wasn't that part of the? I mean, there's, I don't know whether they released that operation. It's probably a little too close to the chest, but yeah. wasn't that part of the plan, you know, make the movie star the president and then knock him off and use that as motivation for whatever, you know, to go back to Cuba or, you know, the next communist war or, cause I mean, you know, we were pretty young back then. However, the cold war definitely wasn't dead in the eighties, you know, until the wall came down, was that 89? Uh, You know, the, the, there was, there was another spike in the early eighties of the cold war and, and the tensions that rose before i suppose the economic sanctions finally sank russia i suppose you know i mean and people that's another thing that is just lost to the books of history and herbert walker's all over that as well you know the the economic sanctions and all those sorts of things again cia you know um but was yeah, it wasn't that that was the plan knock off the movie star install the former director of the cia to steer the ship and yep. uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that was a that was a failed assassination attempt, it wasn't it? Yeah, it was a they they wanted to go through with that one.
4: Yeah, and, and I mean what was you know, what was Bush doing as vice president? He was running a Ran Contra, to yes. which Reagan was quoted yes. as saying, kept me in the dark, I didn't know what was going on. You know, so he's he's selling weapons Bush. to Khomeini, he's selling weapons to the Contras. He's using the Contras through the CIA to to get drugs and sell them. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes the crack epidemic in L.A. Mm -hmm. So it's like this guy was a busy vice president, man. He was like really working it well, you know what I mean?
2: But he didn't really run on the show. That's right. Yeah. But Reagan didn't remember. Yeah, he didn't.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Conveniently. But, you know, it's like it's funny because, I mean, you know, just in this little bit of just looking back at the Bush family real quick, we know that. They were most likely associated with the business plot of 1934 to overthrow FDR. Mm. Uh, They most likely were the guys who orchestrated the the murder of John F. Kennedy, who started preaching out against the military industrial complex and secret societies. And then, you know, you start to look, I mean, the attempted assassination of Reagan, Iran-Contra, everything this guy's fingerprints are on are some of the darkest points of factual, true, uh, easy to research and understand American history. Mm, mm.
2: I mean, and, and you, and obviously you get into obviously it's the Iran Contra affair as well. I mean, there. I listen. I love fighter planes. Right in another world, I would have been a fighter pilot. Uh, and there's the the fighter pilot podcast, really good one. And he had a guy on from Iran talking about the F-14 exchange program that was going on in the eighties, like and it's like Iran is now the enemy enemy. However, yeah. until the mid eighties, Iran was one of America's biggest allies in the middle East. Right. They were, they were exchanging weapons and fighter planes and pilots and like they, it, this, you know, we, we, as I say, post post nine 11, we grew up in a world where or prior to that, that Iran was bad. However, up until a very, you know, poignant moment, I think was a regime change. Uh, Iran was very much uh, an American ally. What had been for, since World War II. Well, it was not like it was a uh, a new relationship, and that's got Bush's fingerprints all over it as well. You know,
4: yeah, and you know, the next stop on his journey is the presidency. And so, speaking of Iran, we know at that point, you know, we were we were making good friends with Saddam. We were selling him weapons and then taking his side during the Iran-Iraq war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got this situation later where Saddam calls up his good buddy H.W. and is like, hey, man, I really want to go in and invade Kuwait. You know, I feel like it belongs to us. We want to take it back. And you know, Bush, through his ambassador at the time, sends a statement to Saddam saying, we don't get involved in Arab-Arab relations. So Saddam's like bingo baby he thinks he's got the green light from america to go take kuwait Mm. and that turns out to be the worst mistake he ever makes because Mm. finally george bush figures out a way to pivot us into the middle east and start the never-ending oil wars that we're about to talk about next
3: that was the famous april gillespie i think she was the ambassador uh, who actually delivered that message to i don't know why that name sticks out in my head but all these years um and he walked right into that.
2: I think, um, but it me, should be
3: mentioned that Saddam was a CIA asset to that entire.
2: Absolutely, time. yeah, he was for the whole time. And I think probably George Senior is really my first American president from my persp- you know, from an Australian perspective, and the age that I was when he took presidency, he's the first guy that I remember sitting in the Oval Office. You know, because there was again. There's only four channels back then of TV uh, here in Australia. It was three even, I think, back here. And during that build-up to Iraq, one, I mean, from my perspective as well, my father was in the military for close to 20 years. I can remember as a child him getting a letter basically saying, pack your bags, right, because he was still within his window. Like, you know, once you leave the military, you've got X amount of years. Mm -hmm. If you are needed in a conflict you can be recalled. And yeah, I remember my father being recalled. He never went right because it was over before it started. However, in this long, I think that Bush senior thought the Iraq war was going to be a lot more drawn out than it was. And yeah, to the point where they in Australia, they were calling up their previous professionals just in case it was basically have your bags packed, ready to go. Um, but then that war was over before it started. I mean, you know, the Iraq one was a, was a cakewalk, which I think, I mean, and I've, I've obviously because, you know, Biden handled the Afghanistan pullout so gracefully, there's been a lot of reflection upon whether or not that put a false measure of confidence into the American military into going into these wars in the middle East as well. You know, there's a whole, Oh yeah, we'll just go in and just walk over, you know, it's going to be fine. But as it turns out, you can't do that over a protracted period of time. Um, yeah. But Saddam was a CIA. He, you know, there's all, there's a, you go back to the eighties, there's all these photos of Saddam in America and shaking hands and kissing babies. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden in 91 or 89, 90, 91, somewhere in there, uh, which we can't forget that during that time was another recession. Right. A lot of people don't remember, or I'm old enough to remember because it was a key part of my childhood. Like we, it was bad down here, the recession in the early nineties. Uh, again, financial pressure. Right? We, we, we see this cycle present itself again. And they just didn't get the, the, the it seems like they haven't got the roll on that they've wanted over the last 30 years. They keep trying these things and it just doesn't kick on as much as they want, I think, is what I'm saying, you know, uh, is, the, is the repeating cycle. So, yeah, we lead into Gulf One, Dan, and then, you know, where do we go from there?
4: So, you know, essentially, if you kind of look at it like, you know, after that post-Bush, post, post because he wasn't a very uh, successful or, or, or uh, popular president, mm. you know, that's when you've got the rise of Clinton, uh in the in the new deficit like what he does is steps in he redefines the democratic party as a another corporate entity just like the republican party was at that point and uh, all american politics is dead forever and interestingly enough post clinton what you've got is the rise of the neoconservative think tank called the project for the new american century which formed around 97 uh and then they create a document um, that they release on September 1st, 2000, called Rebuilding America's Defenses. And I've put a link to the PDF on my Twitter for people to go read this and see this. Um, strangely enough, when I went to refind it, it was very hard to find this time around. That's uh, funny, they buried isn't it really good? good now. Yeah. But I found the link. I put it up on my Twitter. So if anybody wants to check it out, they can. But what this document says is basically that America has to take a new strategic stance around the world. They have to invade the Middle East. They have to take over Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, everywhere we're active today. And they also have made all sorts of other security recommendations that all became part of the American Patriot Act one year later, almost to the day on September 11th. Mm. So Pretty fascinating piece of, uh, of of wizardry that they created in this document. That also says in the document itself that you know we make all these recommendations, but we realize no one's probably going to listen to us unless there's a Pearl Harbor-style attack. Yes, on the United States of existential,
2: America. Existential existential threat. Yeah,
4: directly those in the specific uh, words the, too. Yeah. yeah, those specific words. And then, like I said, one year later from this document's release, you got buildings slamming into the World Trade Center towers, mass formation psychosis running wild with mm-hmm. the word terrorism, terror and fear everywhere, mm-hmm. and uh, that leads us right into
2: 9/11. Well, I mean that's uh, and we're old enough to remember the uh, the TV ads and the and the and the things like, oh yeah, did you see a suspicious backpack? <laughs> if you see a backpack, you let people know. You know, you couldn't yeah. you couldn't put your bag down for ten minutes in the early two
3: thousands. You know, you'd no, be,
2: you'd be whisked away.
3: Well, that uh, started the whole TSA thing, where yep. you know now we gotta we gotta give you a good groping before you get on the airplane. And, and none of this stuff is ever been shoes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just laughable. The, yeah, none of this stuff is ever all, been
2: repealed. This is the thing. It's all part
3: of it. Mm. It's all part of the mass formation psychosis, where the, the, these are the institutional mechanisms used to remind you to be fearful. You know, as, as I've,
2: I've said, I've said this for years is that nine 11 amongst other things, you know, created the never ending conflict that ended so gracefully last year. However, um, um, it, it was literally the fear generated society. I mean, I, I, I've, and I've spoken about this a little bit and, you know, maybe cause I'm getting to be a grumpy old man now. However, uh, you know, back in the nineties in the eighties and nineties, when I was a kid here in Australia, we knew our neighbors, you know, there was cricket matches on the street, barbecues on the street. When you used to go on holidays, you never used to lock your doors. The neighbors would watch your house. You didn't, you didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. Right. Uh, And then fast forward 2000 and you know, September 9, 11, your neighbor is now your enemy. How do you know they're not a terrorist? You know what I mean? Like this, and this is the, and that's the narrative that actually split the, the community, the, the tribe, uh, apart from each other, uh, and we are still living in that world today. I mean...
3: Well, it became... It's very interesting, the parallels of the mass formation psychosis between then and now, too, where you see that this, this world-changing event like 9-11, supposedly perpetrated by Saudi hijackers, and then what do we turn around and do... We attack Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And for years and years, that sort of, that, that cognitive dissonance didn't really make any sense. But in retrospect, you look at it, and again, these are these sort of, um, when things don't make factual sense when you're being, when you're under the spell of this mass formation, mm-hmm. that sort of illogic is kind of one of the driving factors of it, right? That's how you separate the true believers of the tribe um from the rest of societies essentially by by the illogic of of the motivations or or the uh the the results of of the mass formation they Mm. they don't necessarily have to make sense but all you have to do is essentially repeat this message over and over and over again and the people who are the true believers of that new tribe you have created will will follow that new sort of cult identity well, well I mean, you Canada see,
2: you. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I listened to Jocko, I listened to a lot of military podcasts and a lot of these soldiers, a lot of these men joined the day after 9/11. Right? Absolutely. They, you know, like that was a that was, it was a yeah. huge. Oh, it was massive. Huge. And look, and the thing is I think we we we're, we're sort of talking about it objectively. I don't want to take away from the horrific nature of what happened, you know, like That's... and and you know, absolutely. Like and I I was a young fella back then and I definitely got swept up in the, in the fear of it. Um, You know, there was definitely a lot of stuff that was going on uh, back then that I think about now and through the lens, I was always suspicious of it, but through the lens of, of, of convid um, you look back and go like, like Chris just said, it's like the cognitive distance. I mean, we can't leave Saudi Arabia off the table because that's where the caliphate is. That's where the terrorists come from. That's where that, that this, if, if we're against Islam or Muslim religious tradition, that their version is where it all comes from. Right. But we can't talk about Saudi Arabia because they buy billions of dollars of weapons from everyone, you know, like well, in that
3: discussion. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And in that discussion, we never made any distinction between Sunni and Shiite Muslims. That's right. You know, I mean, these are two very, mm-hmm. very distinct um, sects of of that religion, and that you know, when we go wage war on a, on on Iraq, which was a largely Sunni country, mm-hmm. these are people with a completely different religious and philosophical uh, lifestyle than mm-hmm. than your you know your largely Shiite Saudi Arabians. So this is this the, the whole the whole motivation behind it, the whole justification behind it was just madness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's even more obvious today in retrospect.
2: Oh, that a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. You know, I think. And when you
4: think about where all the players were that day on 9-11,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
4: you know, I mean, you've got the Carlisle group, who's this huge financial think tank, uh, heavily invested in United defense, uh, which is a corporation that just made billions of dollars off these invasions into these countries. And, the morning of september 11th you've got uh, george herbert walker bush sitting down with members of the bin laden family at the ritz carlton mm-hmm. in washington yep. dc because carlisle's having a shareholders conference that day mm-hmm. and they all sit around watching the plane smash into the buildings uh as united defense stocks start soaring because everybody knows what's coming next mm-hmm. and so you know the players the saudis uh, the Bin Ladens then are allowed to fly out of 9-11, you know, out of the country the next day. The mm-hmm. only flights allowed in the entire country are the Bin Ladens mm-hmm. and the Saudi Royal Family getting onto planes and leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the new uh, the new terrorism push uh, that comes in there. But I mean, we're having this conversation. We haven't even talked about how the most secure airspace in the world, like you're talking about a place where if a Cessna Goes off course for three minutes. F-16s are right there. Basically, yeah, yeah, the, air driven, yeah, the air national guard yeah, gets
2: scrambled. Yeah, the International national guard gets scrambled, and then happen- you know.
4: these mediocre pilots, as we'll get into, and and you know all this nonsense. Well, it, this is impenetrable airspace.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
3: well, it, if we're if we're ready to talk about the actual event, and I know Triffin, you love your simulations, right? Mm-hmm. We love to talk about simulations. Well. Mm-hmm. Um, There were simulations happening on that very day on 9-11 that were um, probably what helped facilitate those uh, hijackings happen if there were actual hijackings, Mm. which again, you know, all of this stuff we're talking about, all of the evidence, none of us knows definitively what happened on that day. Like, Let's just establish that right now. And anybody that tells you that they do, that wasn't a participant, they're lying. Yeah. Okay. there's so much circumstantial evidence that that you can only build sort of like Dan was talking about earlier, like a top down circumstantial case Mm. for what happened on that day. But I think that there is enough. There are enough pieces of this puzzle that we can put together that you can pretty much frame a fairly accurate retelling of what happened on that
2: day. Yes. I mean, theoretically, three pilots, three or three uh, Saudi Arabian nationals. Uh, now from my memory, was it a toothbrush with a razor blade? Is that they had a razor blade in a toothbrush? They were
3: box cutters. Box I think they were cutters? box cutters. And yeah. there were there were supposedly there were nineteen hijackers total. But again, the the whole hijacker meme again. No idea whether actual hijackings happened on that day. Um. Yeah. That is definitely the narrative that was spun in the days after. Well, wasn't Wasn't it?
2: Were... Wasn't it the? Wasn't it the uh, I got, was, it, was it the Pentagon plane, or they they miraculously found a passport that was in perfect condition, sort of like, a bit like the bullet that shot Kennedy? You know what I mean? Oh, look. Well, He's a perfect that, passport.
3: That was Mohammed Atta's passport. They found yes. it in the rubble in New York,
2: New um, York, in the right, rubble
3: yeah. World Trade Centers, mm. and that was my rabbit hole. That was when I say they reported that on the news. That was my moment where I went, "Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You found a paper passport amidst you know hundreds of tons of rubble in a mm. place that was basically uninhabitable, mm-hmm. and there's so much toxic you know smoke in the air that." It just the whole the whole story was was laughable, mm. um, but that was probably the worst bit of of bullshit media that came out of of that event because you're just shaking your head like, are you kidding me?
2: I mean, one of the um, thing I was just yeah. sort of I was just sort of thinking that you should you guys should know like you know Aussies and Americans we get along but we give each other a bit of crap you know and <laughs> I remember in the in the like post 9 11. And it's, it's, we, we, we're we different cultures, right? Aussies are very, you know, there could be a, a crocodile attack going on over there and I'd just be passing you a beer, you know what I mean? It's it's okay, don't worry about it. And, and we thought, I remember me and my mates initially thought that if someone stood up on a plane with a box cutter and said, I'm taking over the plane in Australia, they'd be told to sit the fuck down, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're not, no, you're not, sit down, you're not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way. Um, and I remember my mother, because she, she worked for the Australian government, for, still does. Uh, and she was on a plane flight not long after that. And one of the engines was failing or something on this 737. And this American lady was freaking out. Oh, we're going to die. Ah. And no one else was because it was a bunch of Aussies on the plane. And she's like, Why aren't you freaking out? And we're like, Well, there's nothing we can do about it. You know what I mean? Or what you, you, you but I think there was a there was a fear. But yeah, there's no, I would like to think, and who knows? I mean, you don't know what would happen in that moment. However, if any if me and any of my mates were on a plane where some dude stood up with a box cutter and said, I'm taking the plane over, I was like, No, you're not, mate. No, you're not. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sit down.
4: Well, let's, well let's I'm assume.
3: curious Dan what you think what you think about the whole the whole hijacking narrative.
2: Yeah well, <laughs> that's, that's a question right did did okay. like, I mean the did it happen? I mean, did, get, did it happen yeah
3: Exactly and and I don't think that there's any necessarily definitive proof either way um there's so much misinformation surrounding the information and identity of those hijackers And were they really present? You know, there was no, supposedly no video recovered at any of the airports of them ever boarding the planes. Mm. But then again, you know, security at, was it uh, security at the World Trade Center and then security at, I think it was Dulles uh, National Airport, were all controlled by uh, Stratasec, which was a company that was um, owned by a Marvin Bush confidant. And I think Marvin Bush sat on the board of directors of that company so again there are so many more like bush family connections to the actual like operational details of 9-11 as well Mm. that um again it's more circumstantial evidence but these pieces just they all fit together really nicely but i'm curious what you think about the hijacking narrative
2: 90 cameras at the pentagon too that have never been able to release the plane running into the building something confiscated
3: by the FBI I, yeah well there was there was, a, and there was a, a footage from a gas station supposedly like it was and it was across the street but it was within view of the Pentagon that the FBI literally came in and uh, and confiscated that footage in, in the name of national security so the only photograph of anything hitting the Pentagon was supposedly that shot from a it was like a parking uh, meter or a parking attendant booth where you see that the plane sort of or something sort of like a plane just above the ground, but it's just a couple frames of the shot. Mm. That was literally the only photograph that it's it's for video evidence. It's really, really hard to believe. And if you if you look at the the immediate eyewitness testimony, there was a a CNN reporter on hand at the Pentagon within um, minutes of the crash. And his first comments were, this doesn't look like an airplane. There essentially was not enough debris. Mm. There was no evidence of any in- engine or fuselage or wings or anything mm. like that. Um, and this is a really interesting thing. If you go to the, uh, the architect, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth website, they compiled all of the initial um, reportage on that day from all of the major news sources and they've, they've got, they've again, they've got the receipts And it's really fascinating because of the 40 different reporters, something like, and and this is referring specifically to World Trade Center, um, 36, it was like 90%, 36 of the 40 reporters reported hearing explosions, Mm. okay, not, they're not relaying anything about a a plane impact, they're literally hearing demolition, you know, Mm. explosions, as in this building was brought down. And most of that footage after that was very, very hard to find. And as soon as the you know, Osama bin Laden narrative started to get rolled out in the mainstream news, everyone kind of fell in line. And so, but it's really interesting when you capture a lot of, when you see a lot of the original footage, either be it from the original, um, the journalists on hand, um, a lot of the firefighters and first responders in New York. I mean, there are firefighters detailing how they're hearing these floors being blown out Mm. one by one by one. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of the people on well, hand... you can, the World see, it. You the
2: can see it. You can some
3: see of, it. In
2: some of, the, some you of that early it. footage that got, that got scrapped, but kudos to the internet sluice who found it. But, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you can see it. You can see the floors detonating, you know, yep. and, and a building that tall doesn't fall in its own footprint. We can get to that in a little while. But, I mean, do you think... Do you think, Dan that there was hijackings or do we think it was mass formation? So, you know I mean? What, where do you, cause yeah. I mean. Yeah.
4: No, I, I think that, um, I, I, you know, I think we're in tricky territory here. I think we don't It's also know, circumstantial. So,
2: yeah. It really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah.
4: Let's, let's assume. That we're high, hmm. Yeah. You know, let's assume there are hijackings. Let's assume that there were Americans that lost their lives that day in those planes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Let's let's assume that they were they were scared and they and and they didn't you know, they didn't know what to do in the situation and thought they might live if they complied, except for the one over Pennsylvania, which I guess, according to the narrative, they tried to storm the terrorists and that ended up crashing the plane. Mm. Um, So just out of respect. And so we don't get Alex Jones here. um, Mm. I would say that, you know, let's assume that that happened and that those hijackings were real, although there is a lot of evidence. Um, that calls into question a lot of those events and the details of it, uh, including the fact that a lot of those hijackers were said to still be alive uh, and in their uh, countries of origin afterwards. Mm. So mm-hmm. clearly there's some you know, non-clarity that exists mm. when it comes to that part of the narrative. But, but even assuming that there were hijackings and all that did happen with aircraft and all that, There's still so many other questions like I want to go back to what Chris was saying about the war games, because Mm. that's really important. You've got Global Guardian going on that day. Yeah, you've got a space command, uh, nuclear command, uh, essentially NORAD run um, simulation going on of a potential nuclear attack that day. You've got Mm. Vigilant Guardian going on which is postulated as a bomber attack from the former Soviet Union, and then various hijacking scenarios, all of which accomplish two goals. You've got um, supposedly all of our fighter planes are running this uh, bomber attack uh, reaction over Alaska, which is why they weren't able to get to the airspace in time to defend it. And then you've got all these hijacking scenarios, which is confusing all of the uh, flight controls all over the country, because there's videos you can hear them on YouTube of saying, is this real? Is this live? Is this simulation? Is this part of the drills? Mm. Cause they're hearing all the drills go on all day. Now they're hearing real hijacking supposedly and, and they don't know they can't. So you've got, you know, blips all over the place. Nobody knows what's hijackings and what simulation at that point. Mm. And that's the excuse that we're given for how these planes were able to just fly around for an hour and 15 minutes or however long it was uh, with you know not being shot down, not being contested, not being challenged. Mm. And then on top of that, you have the National Reconnaissance Office drill taking place. Mm-hmm. So you've got the National Reconnaissance Office simulating an event where a small aircraft crashes into the tower of their headquarters after experiencing mechanical failure and then they're simulating damage to stairwells and exits being closed off, forcing the employees to find their way and evacuate the building. And, and there's a guy from, uh, oh man, I think he was from the Department of Defense named Art Hobald, uh, quoted as saying it was just an incredible coincidence that this happened to involve an aircraft crashing into our facility. <laughs> as soon as the real world events began, we canceled the exercises, he said. So you've got so much mud in the water that day mm-hmm. that, it's virtually impossible to know what's real or what's not until after the events conveniently take place. And then, uh, you know, everybody's asking what happened and then we're getting pivoted into these oil wars afterwards. Mm. So it's, it's really important. Interestingly, the
3: the information on those uh, war games didn't even come out until several years after the event either. I think it was, um, yeah. Reporter named Barbara Horn, Hornbugger? Hornberg. I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering her name, hmm. um, but M- Rupert was uh, originally found out about them through her. She was, I believe she was the one who alerted him to this. So there was basically media silence about these simulations until these independent journalists unearthed this stuff and started publicizing it. So it was definitely information that they did not want uh, revealed. And one of those exercises, I believe it was Global Guardian, I'm not sure on the specifics, but was actually normally, it was like an annually occurring exercise that normally happened in October. But for whatever reason, in 2001, it was moved forward onto that specific day. Mm. Um, And there was one other exercise, Dan, that happened in New York City, um, it was scheduled for September 10th. It was called Tripod. Um, it yeah, was yeah, sort of sure. preparation for a bio, like a bioweapons attack on Manhattan, essentially. And that ended up morphing into sort of the command post for um, the response to the World Trade Center um, attacks um, after their, their uh, command center, World Trade Center 7, was was destroyed. And so that's it's great. a it's a pretty amazing coincidence that you have all of these exercises and simulations all happening on the same day. That, in my mind, that's the the clearest evidence you have for state sponsorship right there. I mean, that's uh, kind of the smoking gun.
2: Or just abject failure. I mean, you're telling me that the United States of America. I mean, and look, we got to think in 2001 you guys were at the peak of your powers, right? There was no one else. You guys were at the top of the pile. There was not even a, a there was even a close second, right? You're telling me that you couldn't scramble an F-18, an F-14, F-16. You'd get a you'd roll a phantom out from the garage, mate. You know what I mean? Like if there's planes that are, like Dan, like Dan said earlier, three minutes off course. And even back then that was the case, right? If you, yeah. A, a small always. plane yeah always right and you're telling me they couldn't scramble anything nothing it's right? it's,
3: it's impossible to believe
2: mm, it is it's impossible yeah. and, and that that was part of the that was part of the 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 smelly stuff um for those that could think objectively and critically within that moment however because of the horrific nature of what happened as we've seen, mass formation psychosis is very easy to steer when you 're in a fear mindset right when you when you when you 're looking for that thing right and then you' you're, you're given a target and you just point at that target before we get Absolutely. to the actual day. we can't not mention the how many so like look, number one, I had two thoughts i'm I'm pretty sure the plane hit the Pentagon in the exact floors where there was a heap of money that went missing or, and then there was the guy, I can't remember his name now, but basically it was like $200 billion went missing the day before. And yeah, they had to admit it the day before. And then the next day, 9-11 happened. And no one it
0: was, it
3: was, was Donald again? Rumsfeld. That's Donald it. Rumsfeld, who's Secretary of Defense, admitted on September 10th that, and I think the amount was closer to like $4 trillion, if memory serves, that had just gone completely missing. They couldn't account for any of it.
2: No, lost and yeah, the, the next chaos. day.
3: Yeah, yeah this is exactly. Just turn it upside down and shake it, Donald. You can find <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, so that, so the plane, and and again, I use that term loosely because personally, I don't think a plane ever hit the Pentagon.
2: Mm.
3: Um, but whatever happened to the Pentagon happened in the accounting wing essentially yeah. where all of their financial records were stored. And that wing was also under construction. So it was very sparsely populated that day by, you know, another coincidence to, to add to the many coincidences of the that Pentagon
2: day. thing initially. I mean, you look back at some of the, as you say, the photos are very hard to find these days, but yeah, no wings, no engine, like a plane disintegrates and these planes melted, but all of them melted very quickly. Um, but the Pentagon thing looked like it blew out. That was one of the, I remember yeah. it, the, the the initial photos to provide that dramatic response. It looked like it had been blown out. It didn't look like something had impacted it. It looked like it had been blown out. And, you know, in any photos you see now, you, you put a critical eye over them. It does look like that. It does does look like that.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, and the worst thing about the Pentagon for me, which really just, I think it's probably the, one of the sloppiest parts of the narrative is that according to them, in order for this to have been executed, this was a super tricky move uh, as a pilot. Um, There's many pilots who have come out on record and said, that the maneuver that would have had to been utilized in order for this to have happened is something that even one of the finest pilots in the world flying one of those planes couldn't pull off mm. and I forget the terminology I'm not a pilot so I'm not going to nail this maybe Chris you remember but essentially it the plane had to do this huge like looping huge, like
3: yeah like kind of like, move yeah
4: yeah it was like, almost like yeah. a 300 A 60 degree maneuver to to position it to where it came in on ground level and then was heading straight at the Pentagon. Because what most likely would have happened if you were just some dumbass flying a plane that day into the Pentagon, you'd see the Pentagon and you would just start steering towards it. Yeah, exactly. Just
2: go straight down into
4: it. Yeah, yeah. The angle in which it hit, supposedly, uh, the science isn't there to support it. And the only... The only explanation is this highly advanced aerial maneuver that would be hard to do in a fighter plane, let alone a a Boeing 747 or whichever type of plane that was that hit that day.
2: And you're you're telling me that the most secure facility, one of the most secure facilities on the planet doesn't have a SAM battery hidden somewhere under a bush? Oh,
4: there's missile batteries all over water.
2: You you know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like you're telling me that there's not SAM batteries that are just yeah. set up in plain sight that aren't just sitting there waiting for a go button, you know, they, of course they bloody well,
3: are. And we should add that these, these supposed hijackers were not qualified to fly commercial airlines.
2: You yeah. They just Cessna you pilots. Muhammad Asa and his
3: buddies, they were taking, you know, they're flying Cessnas essentially. Mm-hmm. They were training, um, at a training facility in Florida and, uh, you know, they weren't excellent pilots. they <laughs> and they were not qualified to fly a commercial aircraft. So the idea that those guys could pull off some sort of maneuver like that is just insanity. Mm-hmm.
4: And that teacher was quoted as saying, the guy who literally taught these guys how to fly was quoted as saying they were terrible pilots.
3: Yep. I mean, yeah. the guy that it, trained
4: them, you know, and he was like, there's no way you guys did
3: this. It's, it's really cool. interesting again, the, the parallels between um, like the Lee Harvey Oswald stuff and the Muhammad Atta stuff, where both of these guys like exhibited very similar behavior um, before the events that they were supposedly involved in where Lee Harvey Oswald was like sort of making a spectacle of himself. He was going, flying all over the world, meeting all kinds of people, um, you know, um, making an ass of himself in public repeatedly. Whereas Muhammad Atta was undergoing some of the same behavior, you know, supposedly devout Muslim who's hanging out at strip clubs, banging strippers, doing cocaine, like, Literally just partying up and having a you know having a ball, but not being very inconspicuous. I mean, literally almost going out of his way to draw attention to himself, sort of similar to the behavior of Lee Harvey Oswald before, um, before the JFK assassination. So, you know, again, the, the, there is so much myth surrounding these hijackers that it's just hard to, to tell what's real and what's Mm. not, as far as, you know, what part is narrative, what part actually happened and Mm. whether these guys were actual participants or they were just there as part of the whole misinformation narrative, you know?
4: And I think it was Atta who was living in an apartment with another one of the hijackers just outside Langley, Virginia, and had received payments direct from the CIA. So they've, 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 built the connection now that at one point Otto was in some way associated with and receiving training from the CIA. And, you know, that becomes a real murky subject because we know bin Laden goes back to the Mujahideen, yeah. uh, which was funded and created yep. by the CIA to fight the Russians in mm-hmm. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I think that
3: the the, the the flight company in Florida too, that um, that Otto and his buddies were taking flight lessons from, um, was supposedly at, at one point also a CIA cover for some of their drug operations. So there are so many connections. You know, supposedly Ata has been befriended by an FBI informant. Like, there are so many connections between these guys and like, you know, intelligence, law enforcement, that it, it's, there, there are too many, too many coincidences there to be Completely
2: random. Well, I heard I heard something the other day that's I heard something the other day that's going to insert itself into UTC forever, and it was coincidence takes planning. You know what I mean? Like, how many coincid coincidi is a word we invented here at UTC? Mm -hmm. However, how many coincidi does it take before we can draw a picture? You know what I mean? It's like the join the dots picture. I mean, we Mm -hmm. could we could start to get into the buildings themselves and what the, the owner of the world trade center took out an insurance policy the month before. uh, And it was specifically in case it got blown up or something like that. I can't remember the details of that. You boys might be able to expand on that.
3: Yeah. Larry Silverstein took out a multi-billion dollar insurance policy that eventually did get paid out. I believe if memory serves Hmm. and one of the specific, Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the specific clauses was in, in, you know, case of in case terrorism,
2: the case of terrorism. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, even, and there were, there that, were
3: rumors yeah. that those buildings were essentially um, almost going to be condemned because they, I mean, they've been built in the seventies and supposedly had a, a pretty serious asbestos problem that they were trying to keep under wraps Yeah. so that, um, you know, the fact that those buildings went down and this guy got a nice big hefty insurance payout out of that is, very convenient
2: and weren't they half empty that day as well i mean i know that the world they 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 weren't full and they hadn't been full for a very long time as far as businesses uh taking up space within the buildings but even that day they were it was essentially a skeleton staff across both towers is that correct as well i'm trying to remember the there was a whole. well
3: there are competing narratives about that that i've seen i you know the the planes did hit in the morning so i think you know not everyone had made it to work quite yet um there were um reports of certain companies that had been alerted to like not going to work that day yeah. um there was one i forget the name of the company i think it was a tech company but also um a couple of the financial firms there because in mean, the world trade center buildings you got to remember housed all kinds of financial and government giants i mean it was everything from morgan stanley merrill lynch um, i believe like the atf the fbi the dea um, the sec all had offices in these in these mm. in these buildings wasn't so, there gold
2: in there wasn't there gold in the basement as well or something like that there was a, there were stories of gold in the basement that was there were
3: stories i have no idea whether there was any any truth to any of those rumors though um i don't know if you remember that dan that those those rumors were definitely circulating in the days afterwards like there was some big hype under the world trade center and someone stole
4: all the gold yeah Uh, no i mean i i heard them too i don't i don't know if that's true i think the problem is if you know if what we're referring and if what we're ultimately saying here is that this is a this is an intelligence operation um that was run that day whether Uh, You know, however you want to define that or look at that, um, you know, then you have to you have to suspect that the counterintelligence wing of the CIA, you know, through people like Alex Jones and people that I think are probably rooted in disinformation campaigns, um, we're purposely muddying the waters right They're They're throwing out as much bullshit as possible. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, of course. When we talk about some of the things that we know to be real that day. Um it can just all get lumped into the same category as nonsense, and then we can all be discredited for what we're saying.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah, absolutely. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's how misinformation is is seeded. So mm-hmm. um that's and again, that's why we supply these ample warnings that this is all speculation, and <laughs> yeah, we have to make sure that everyone understands it's speculation and none absolutely. of us consistent with this subjective no, truth.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think and look and look, boys, the one of the reasons I wanted to come back to this is that. You know, one of the arguments for so many years is, oh, no one, no, so many people couldn't be in on the same thing, right? That's that's been the narrative. There's no way that they could have pulled it off because of the amount of people they needed to pull it off, and blah blah blah
3: blah blah. I hate that argument so much.
2: Well, what did we just live through, right? It was obviously a coordinated, planned. You know, I mean, we could, we could. You talk about the you know, you talk about the drills being run and the, you know, a year to the day is a, is a, is a, you know, existential threat. People forget that in October, September, October 2019, you know, that the Bill Gates and his cronies met and spoke about what would happen if a coronavirus was released on the world. And then three months later, it happened. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, <laughs> coincidence takes well- planning, you
3: know? I want to, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that that whole psychology is actually, the older I get, the more, I think that that is one of the more crucial aspects of this whole operation. And that everybody says, Oh my God, you can't keep a conspiracy hidden. And someone would rat, you know, um, I don't think they give a single fuck Is my mindset. Now, I think that the sloppiness of it and the obviousness of it is the message. Mm. And I think that you know, if you look at any, the leader of any foreign country or any foreign intelligence service, these people 100% know that that was a false flag operation by the United States government on its own people. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any doubt that any leader of any nation didn't recognize that immediately. So what that means in my mind is this is just a fucking sheer, uh, a sheer power grab, Mm -hmm. a sheer, it's just a message. It's just a show of strength. It's like, we're going to do, you know, the famous words of was it Donald Rumsfeld, we create our own reality, mm. was essentially this was us showing our dominance and showing that we are essentially creating our own reality here. And mm-hmm. then in the days that followed, we had the, the plane crash of Paul Wellstone, who was one of the outspoken members of Congress who was questioning 9-11. He died mysteriously in a plane crash. Then you had the anthrax attacks, which I think happened mm-hmm. just – what the next month dan was it yeah, october yeah. Mm-hmm. and you know so you get these vials of powder sent to various me- members of the media and various members of congress and you know i think Democrat. 30 35 of those congressmen were sick supposedly with anthrax poisoning so the message was sent immediately after like
2: which led to the anthrax vaccines given to the military which we can't talk about either because they oh, killed a lot of people, right?
3: They killed a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. That shit was bad news. Yeah, But again, it was, you know, the, the, the obviousness of, of the operation I think was the message and I don't think they necessarily meant to hide it. Obviously no one's going to stand up there and confess to anything, but you know, at that point um, you don't really have to. And then I think that all of the um, political, and, and media sphere was essentially terrified into submission by the anthrax attacks. Mm. So, uh, you know, this is, this is essentially how you silence dissent.
2: You yeah, let it, let, the yeah fuck out of people. Exactly. Well you terrify the people that might have the balls to stand and you pay off the people that don't, you know what I mean? Like I think, exactly. and those that exactly. left and those that left have single vehicle accidents into a tree. It's only one tree within a five mile radius, but they hit it square on.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I want to expand, if it's okay, to uh, to kind of your point there about the conspiracy aspect of this, because, um, you know, one point about the anthrax real quick, that has been proven that those came out of a military lab. So we know that the anthrax was U.S. born. It was never created or garnered by terrorists. Uh, yeah, it was for
3: Dietrich. Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's proven. And then To get back to the conspiracy idea, the reality of 9 11 is that you only needed one person to be in on this thing, and that was Dick Cheney that day. Um, You had George W. Bush reading My Pet Goat to kindergartners, and you had Bush sitting in, or I mean Cheney sitting in the bunker making things happen. And when you go back to the 9 11 Commission, uh, which was essentially a big bunch of nothing burger, um, what you do have is you have one hero that stood up and told the truth that day. And that was Secretary, uh, P- uh, uh, what was the Secretary of the Navy's name? Do you remember, uh, Chris? He was, uh, um, Mineta, I think his name was, Mineta, does that sound right to you? Oh, anyway. you Leon Panetta? He was the Director of tra- No, tra- no this was the Secretary of the Navy. He was an Asian guy. Um, oh, God, I can't remember his name. It's slipping my mind here. But but essentially, he, he testified during the 9-11 Commission that he was in the bunker with Cheney and he describes a scenario yep. where he this? says that a young officer comes in and says, excuse me, Mr. President, or Mr. Vice President, uh, the, uh, you know, the plane is, uh, or he doesn't say the plane, he says, it's 15 minutes out. And then the Secretary of Navy says, and then he leaves. And then he comes back and he says, excuse me, Mr. Vice President, it's 10 minutes out. Okay, and then he leaves and comes back and then he says, Mr. Mr. Vice President, it's now five minutes out. And then he says, does the order still stand? And Cheney, in the words of the Secretary of the Navy, whips his head around and says, of course they did. Did I say any different? And the young man leaves the room and the plane hits after that. So you've got a situation where this secretary was trying to tell the world that Cheney essentially got asked the question, does the order still stand? We and still no one one alone, yeah. No one on the commission ever asked, what was that order, sir? What was that order? You know, Cheney never said what the order was, who knows what happened to the kid that was coming into the room, mm-hmm. but what was that order? Unless that order was to stand down and let those planes hit the building. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, as a- so
4: Cheney ran it that day, let's be honest. He didn't need anyone to be in on it. He was running it from the bunker, and all that everyone else had to do was all the things that had been put into place by him, which were those war games operations to confuse everybody, mm-hmm. and then essentially the order to not shoot down those planes.
2: Again, you, you, you look back. I was thinking while you boys were just speaking then, prior to this happening, if, if you recall back to our teenage years, right? The world was in an interesting place. We were actually, and me and a friend were talking about this the other day. We were experiencing a, a level of freedom uh, that we probably, you know, they say that the late '90s is the peak of Western civilization. Now, that's the Matrix. That's why the Matrix was built in the late '90s, basically. Uh, and I don't maybe disagree with that as we move forward. As we, and then, you know, is it because I'm a '90s baby? Maybe, but still, society's been broken and damaged by this event ever since uh and we were asking questions like you said you know four trillion dollars i remember laughing about that the day before it's like joking with my friends at work it's like how do you lose four trillion dollars You know, so where, 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 where does it go like it's not you know i think i remember talking to friends of it. It's like, how do we, let's, you know, okay, here's a hundred dollar bill, right? Here's a hundred dollar bill. Now there's $4 trillion. How many hundred dollar bills is that? How big a space is that? <laughs> Where do you lose $4 trillion? And we were asking questions, not only if like, we were asking questions of our government down here. And I think, I think the Western freedom democratic society was asking questions of their government and not getting real good answers. So in order for them to take back control, something had to give, we had to have something to direct our attention towards. Uh, and that was this event, wasn't it? There's no two ways about it. When we look back in our, in our history, you know, so we fast forward to the day four planes are in the air. You know, one goes down over Pennsylvania, uh, where the, 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 people fight back one hits the Pentagon and then one hits the World Trade Center. It's so like 15 minutes later, the other one hits or something like that. There was a gap between the first and second because I remember...
3: About a 15-minute, yeah, 20-minute gap.
2: Yeah, because I think I saw the second live, right? I think I was woken up in the middle of the night by my brother. Um, Apparently, initially, he just said to me, a plane flew in the World Trade Center. I rolled over and said, we're all fucked now, then went back to sleep. But then I woke up, obviously, realizing what... He told me, and I, I remember watching the second plane hit. Um, and look, that's an image that's burned into everybody's mind that that was old enough to experience that, the horrific nature of these planes flying into these buildings. Uh, you know, and then there's all sorts of footage and weird stuff from the day that got deleted very quickly. Uh, there's all sorts of, like you said, initial reports of, explosions uh you know there's tower seven which i've heard a pretty decent explanation as to why that fell and it was a coincidence but again coincidence takes planning right a building just doesn't fall in on itself um
3: that's the other that's the other smoking gun in my opinion Uh, the simulations are one that that proves state sponsorship and The collapse of World Trade Center 7 is absolutely, there's absolutely no way that building fell down in a perfectly in its own footprint when it was not struck by a plane. Let's emphasize that point strongly. World Trade Center 7 fell, I believe it was like 4.30 or 5 o'clock that afternoon. It was not hit by a plane, okay? That building just fell down. Mm. Um, It was an obvious controlled demolition. Um I mean my my working theory is that the the plane that crashed in uh Pennsylvania was uh United Airlines 93 was intended to hit World Trade Center 7 and for whatever reason did not make it you know mm-hmm. maybe the stories of the resistance to hijacking were true maybe mm-hmm. they weren't maybe there was some kind of kind of technical fuck up or something um but I don't think that there's any way that World Trade Center 7 fell um, and I think that the, the, the analysis afterwards by like the National Institute of Standards of Technology that basically didn't even talk about World Trade Center 7 for five or six years after the event and then sort of begrudgingly addressed it once enough people raised enough of a stink, that mm. they just wanted that to go away. <laughs> they didn't want anyone to know about that or remember that. Um, so so basically,
2: no obviously, someone had set the charges. Someone had set the charges and no Correct. one turned the no one turned the box off basically
4: <laughs> well
3: the, the explanation well, was that the the fires the, the the rubble from the destruction of the other towers and the fires yeah, ignited the,
2: ignited the, the boiler right. yeah ignited the boiler underneath which caused the structural collapse of the building
3: blah 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 blah, blah. Yeah. Right. I, and, yeah and and the the, NS, the NIST used all these architectural models to mm. to to frame that collapse but none of it made any sense um you know there were other trade center buildings world trade center three and i think world trade center six were literally between towers one and two and building seven so the idea that debris from these other buildings would have had to take out the buildings in between them in order to bring down world trade center seven so you know that argument to me is is doesn't hold a whole lot of water
2: and look i think the um you know the design of the world trade centers as well. The, the, the metal, the, the internal structure of the world trade center, the, the metal that it was made out of uh, you know, the, it wouldn't and jet fuel like that's been the whole thing, isn't it? Right. The jet fuel melted the steel and that, and then it fell in its own footprint, right. Both of those, you know, you, you would have, to me, from an, from an objective perspective, can I see the top part of both of those buildings maybe coming away and falling? Yes, I could see that, right? I, I'm happy to play that game where, you know, they hit the, the top quarter or the top third of the buildings, both both buildings. Can I see the structural integrity of that top section of that building breaking and coming away? Yes, I can see sure. that. But that's not what happened. What happened later that day, is all of a sudden both of those towers just collapsed within themselves. Right. I mean, and that's, that's footage that was shown on the day in a live nature. I mean, and we got to think about, this is also the creation of the 24 seven news narrative as well. Right. That was a minute by minute update that was given all over the world. Right. I mean, it, it never ended for days on days on days. That was all we, anyone talked about. It's all we ever saw. Um, but yeah, is it later that day? How many hours later did they collapse? Do you boys what what what's the theory there?
3: Oh, I think there was about a forty-five minute gap for the first two towers. I think the second tower collapsed, I wanna say around nine forty-five or ten o'clock. And then World Trade Center Seven didn't happen until for another seven, seven and a half hours. Hmm. So there was a huge gap between between those two.
2: I'll tell you um, one of the most disturbing and again, not, this is all circumstance and obviously we're, we're we're being very objective, but it doesn't take away from the life lost on that day. You know, I think that's, you need to be very specific about that. And one of the most disturbing images that I ever saw, and there's a pretty long list of that, and it was pretty dark. And it's actually that song, Free Falling, because we're free, free falling. I remember Tom, Petty. Tom Petty's Free Falling. And that was, they had that song playing as these people were jumping out of the towers, right. I'll never, I will never forget that. That was on media down here. And, you know, cause we, that was the horror of that. Wasn't it? That we saw these people at the edge of the building, jumping out, trying to, that was the better option than trying to get out. Um, You know, there's all sorts of crazy stories from the day, like that guy that surfed a bit of concrete to the ground and ended up living with two broken legs because the concrete took the impact. And there's a lot of crazy stories, and we don't take away from the from the death and the destruction of that day. No. However, I think the 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 darker aspect of it. I mean, as I say, there's a few videos that you we saw that day that you can actually see the the detonators firing in the floors. Right? There's Mm -hmm. you can see that. That, that and there's no way that a building that was the the peak of technology when it was built, built to withstand attacks like that. Just for the record, right? How did it fall? Sorry. You know, what I mean, what do you boys? Where do you want to? Where do you want to go with that?
3: Well, its architect is on the record as saying it was designed to withstand the impact of a commercial airliner. He said that um, when they initially built it, the idea was that. If it was hit by a plane, it would be akin to a fly hitting a windscreen, essentially. Mm. Um, and I think you brought up a really interesting point earlier that, yeah, it's possible that like you said, the top portion of that building could have collapsed, fallen. Um, but for that whole building to collapse so symmetrically, I think is mm. the, real, the real tell there because That's
2: the issue, yeah. I
3: mean, if you, you watch these botched demolitions of other buildings, everywhere in the world. And you, you fuck that up, and that building's going over sideways. Mm. So how are you going to tell me that a, a plane impact is going to bring two buildings down precisely in their own footprint? I mean, that is, that is a work of superior demolition engineering mm. that takes real, real fucking professionals to accomplish something like that. And for something that precise to happen in the wild, like that, I think is just completely implausible.
2: Mm. Mm. Absolutely and wasn't there um trying to remember wasn't there stories from the survivors telling that there was a heap of random workmen in the building and had been for the weeks prior leading up to it doing all these weird works in the elevator shafts and all that sort of stuff I'm trying to remember that yeah you know, so the, the-
3: um I dove back into that this weekend and there's been a lot more research done on that over the last uh, last few years than there was initially um initially i believe it was understood that um they did a power down of basically the entire tower the weekend before um where no one was allowed in and out of the building um several of the floors where the impact hit were supposedly off limits and i saw a really interesting story uh last night that some of those floors they, they were called mechanical floors where they didn't actually have tenants on them, they were just used there to facilitate like materials or to, you know, provide power or whatnot, Um, that there were areas of those floors. And again, this is just anecdotal, um, but there were certain floors that were completely declared off limits for years and that there was originally um, a fireproofing um, plan that had been I want to say established in 1993, where they were going around and re-fireproofing all of the beams and in, in, in the towers, and that it was a plan that was supposedly supposed to take a decade, and that many of those floors had been shut down for this so-called uh, fireproofing process. Um, so there were areas, uh, you know, in in these towers, and again, you know, the reminder that the security was essentially controlled by a bush, a bush-controlled company. Um, but there were areas of these towers that were completely off limits to people, supposedly, for, for years even. So, the, you know, logistically, it's not impossible that this was carried out, essentially, that
4: charges were planted. Mm.
2: Dan, did you want to so, chip in there much? Yeah,
4: I just wanted to jump back real quick before we get too far past it. Um, uh, oh, one thing I did look it up, uh, the Secretary of the Navy, his name was Norman Mineta, and he was talking about oh, the Norman, second, second plane before it hit. So I just wanted to okay. clarify that point for anybody who wants to research it. But uh, I just wanted to jump back really quick um, to building seven, because I think there's a couple of points that I wanted to make that it's really important to bring up. Um, the day of during the media coverage, uh, they were they showed scenes of building seven and there was only two floors that were on fire. Um, I forget which floors they were. They weren't that high up. But they were there was only two floors and there's lots of video evidence of this.
3: 13 and 14, oh. I think. Yeah.
4: All right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah.
3: There's there's supporting photographic evidence of that too, Dan.
4: Yeah. And then you've got the uh, the guy who owns World Trade Center Complex on TV to the media. And when he's talking about World Trade Center uh, seven, he specifically says the exact quote is what he says to the media at the time. As he says, "Yeah, the uh, WCT seven was damaged and we had to pull it." And you can go back and find that that is out there. And when you say you're pulling a building, you're specifically talking about demolition. This is a demolition term. Oh, that's a terminology. No other way. Okay. Yeah, there's no other way to 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 you know to 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 rewrite this. And then the last third point I have is. Uh, The BBC was broadcasting during Mm. this time (laughs) and I threw this video up on Twitter and they announced the collapse of Building 7 with a live feed behind them showing Building 7 (sighs) still standing. So they got the report before the building fell down, which was absolutely amazing and there's never been anyone who's ever been able to explain that.
3: that's bonkers.
2: Yeah, look, it's – and the problem is, boys, is this is all circumstantial. It makes so much sense, objective sense, uh, yeah. logical sense, um, and we're not – I don't know. And the, the reason I wanted to come back and revisit this is are we f- f- far enough away now to look back through that lens and 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 gain an understanding of why, right? So I think we've probably um, – I mean, do, do, before we move on to because that was my that was going to be basically the why do you think? But is there anything you boys want to go through about the the buildings or any of that sort of stuff before we get to that? Because we will have to wrap it up in the next sort of 15, 20 or so. So, um, where, where briefly, you just at?
3: yeah, just um, just want to hit on a couple things. Um, the first was essentially the destruction of evidence. You know, we've already talked about how all the video evidence mysteriously disappeared. But all the physical evidence was taken off site as well. Um, If you remember um, all of the structural steel, um, they were having dump trucks rolled in to remove that um, in the days immediately after the attack. There was no forensic evidence of of anything on that site. Like they were literally just carting evidence away and all of that. Uh, steel was sold to a Chinese company, um, so they disappeared all the physical evidence. Um, there was also evidence of molten metal. That was so going to say. Responders, yeah responders yeah. um, reported, and I think this is an important one to understand because these—I I don't think that you bring these buildings down with conventional explosives. Um, I think that the um, sort of nine-eleven community uh, suspects that thermite, or
2: yeah, thermite thermite. or thermite was used. Some sort of plasma. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Something that essentially cuts directly through metal. Um, so these first responders reporting seeing molten, you know, like rivers of molten metal um, when they were mounting their rescue efforts. You know, those those kinds of heats cannot be achieved in a collision or a fire caused by
2: oh, through out gas, heat. anything else like that. Yeah, that's
3: right. yeah. like double the temperature required essentially to to melt steel um, versus it you know that of a. What's that, Dan? Sorry.
4: I, I'm sorry, oh, no, go I, ahead. Just, I wanted to find that point that uh, not only was it first responders, these rivers of molten metal were seen weeks after the towers went down, weeks. They were wow. seen yeah. by uh, firefighters and people working on the debris and trying to find victims. So whatever caused those molten metal you know, fields essentially, which thermite is the best explanation, yeah. they were seen for weeks afterwards.
2: Well, yeah, they have done examinations
3: things. of oh i'm sorry right, they done examinations of the lungs of, of people in the area too um there that who who later succumbed to um the effects of essentially the you know the poisonous uh, clouds that were emitted by the debris that oh. there, there was evidence of, of byproducts of a thermite explosion or thermite ignition in there and they'd also found um the various independent researchers have found um direct evidence of that sort of by some of the physical um, byproducts as well in, in the actual rubble. So it's not like a wackadoodle conspiracy theory. I think right. there's enough direct evidence of it that that's um, that a plausible theory.
2: And the thing is, if you've got, I mean, how many thermite charges are we talking about here with a building that big? That's adequate, <sighs> You know, like, I mean, hundreds, thousands, like, and thermite doesn't give up either. It's not like thermite just goes out. It, it will stay it'll keep going until it burns itself out there's no as long
3: as it has a fuel source yeah yeah. as
2: long as it's got a source of fuel it'll it'll just keep going you know and i think yeah i remember that all the twisted molten metal and you know there was there was again if you think back there was shots of that with all the reporters that were standing out front and but yeah i remember trucks being in there that day like you know what i mean by the end of the day there was dump trucks in there assisting with the rescue effort but uh, um you know getting everything out you know
3: yeah they were um, they were hustling the evidence out of there as quickly as as possible but yeah there were there were pictures of some of those beams that the, the steel supports that had clearly just been cut mm, cleanly diagonal
2: yeah i remember that i remember that i remember the beams looking like they'd been cut with a plasma cutter uh yeah you know but again you know as you say within 10 days of that happening we were at war with Iraq again you know like I think the the Mm -hmm. switch was very you know and then you've got um well I mean before we get into the the psychosis and and what happened since then did you want to add anything else in there Dan before we before we move on I mean I mean you know I
4: I think obviously we could go for hours about this. There, there's so much, again, circumstantial mm-hmm. evidence. I think we've hit on a lot of the really good, important stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what really we do need to talk about as well as the psychosis aspect of it,
3: mm-hmm.
4: it's just, you know, the the reaction, right? Which was mm-hmm. very coordinated. Patriot Act was instilled very quickly. Mm-hmm. Nobody read it nobody cared. It's changed the face of what American civil liberties look like since then in a very dramatic way. It's never been redacted. It's never been pulled back. It's been reconfirmed again and again by progressives, by conservatives, by everybody, um, and has led to all the different problems that we're facing as a culture right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, that war into Afghanistan, which Bush admitted himself was a you know, finding bin Laden wasn't that important. He said he wasn't really concerned with bin Laden at, at one point. Um, but what was important to them was uh, essentially the capture of Afghanistan, the corporate money that flew, floated in there um, through Arbusto Energy, um, and then also the, uh, the pipeline that got created with Unical. So that was the like first mission. As soon as we went in there and took Afghanistan quickly. Uh, we got, we set it up with Unical to get that pipeline finally built. They had been working on that for years. Mm-hmm. And then Ahmed Karzai, who became the president of Afghanistan, that we propped up, I just want to point out was a Unical advisor. So all the money game part of it was very clear after that. Uh, the pivot, um, you know, Bin Laden, you know, being the boogeyman after that. And, but really, the move into Iraq and the subsequent invasions of Libya and Syria and everything else that have occurred since.
3: Mm. And it, I want to add a financial, um, another financial end to that as well, if we're looking at this like very big picture, was that during that time, um, several of those countries, the Middle Eastern countries, I believe Iraq, Libya, Syria, were discussing um, essentially creating their own oil bursts. They were going to sell uh, Middle yeah. Eastern oil, using a pan middle Eastern currency that they were Mm -hmm, talking about creating. mm -hmm, And so that right there is a direct threat to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and the United States hegemony via the petrodollar.
2: Yeah, So I I think that there were,
3: I think that there were so many, there's so many reasons for this to happen. Like you said, it's, you know, it's, it's always energy. It's always money you have to look to the drug trade as well. I think the drug trade in Afghanistan, as far as controlling the poppy fields. Yeah. You look at the lithium as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. The lithium and the poppy and it's some of the the biggest deposits in the world. Yeah.
3: Exactly. So there, you know, there's never one reason, but you know, you, you hit on all these, you know, you're maintaining your control over the global financial system. You're maintaining your, your control over global energy resources, um, you're controlling a very um, important region geopolitically mm. just due to its um, you know, proximity to, to Russia and to a lot of other important places, um, including trade routes. Um, there's just a multitude of reasons that this made a lot of sense that if you're an empire trying to consolidate your control over the world, a lot of this just makes a lot of sense. Mm. You
2: know? mm-hmm. 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 And I think you, know, you can't, we, we can't not think about, as I say, like we took 20 years to fight the Taliban to give Afghanistan back to the Taliban and I'm pretty sure China's now running Bagram Air Base, right? The One of the most sophisticated air bases that was ever built in a remote area by the US military now has Chinese H6K bombers sitting in the uh, hangars, right, in Afghanistan as we sit and record this right now, Um, you know, the, the consolidation, as I say, it makes sense, but they fucked it up, didn't they? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's actually really, you know, we fast forward China's rise as the, the up and coming superpower of the planet. The, I think their greed got them in the end, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're dealing with right now uh, in most Western That's, countries, you know, it's, it's a
3: tough, it's a tough puzzle, Triff. I mean, is, did we fuck it up or is this the actual plan? And are we mm. just another one of the participants, another one of the actors? Because if you look, and I don't want to get too far off topic, but if you look at the, the quote unquote climate crisis mm-hmm. and, you know, we're switching over to all electric everything. And yet, 80% of the resources that we need for that are developed in China. So yeah. why are we initiating an entirely new transportation system that is going to be completely dependent on the manufacturing and the raw, raw materials that we need to get from our, our supposedly prime enemy? Mm. You know, what, yeah, what is that? I mean, on in that respect, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense unless we are being transitioned into a a unipolar world that is run by China.
2: Hmm. Uh yeah, well overseen by the WEF, I suppose, you know, like I think that's the
3: Exactly. You know, the
2: I mean the the Afghanistan thing that was obviously, you know, we went into Afghanistan and you know that that history is where it is there. But last year it it's it it smelled like a business deal to me. They wanted to get out for the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven. That was a big symbolic yeah. thing for, for Biden, right? Huh. However, but it seemed to me like it was a business deal, right? Look, we're just going to get out. It's all good. Because within weeks, China was there, right? It, yep. it was like they left and they left and made the Taliban, I think, it not it the fifth biggest military now or something like that in the world with the amount of gear that they left behind, right? Jesus um, and the
4: Taliban have never been our enemies in America, except for during 9-11. Uh, we right. had a, we've had a relationship with them. When George Bush was governor of Texas, the Taliban came and visited mm. uh, Governor Bush. He hosted them. They gave press conferences. They were asked about human rights, and they mocked the reporters. Uh, in response Mm -hmm. so there was never and the Taliban oddly enough the one thing that they were really good at was controlling the poppy fields Mm -hmm. they they actually kept poppy production to a minimum because they didn't like the effects it had on the populace and because of their their religious conservatism Mm -hmm. Um, but we opened that wide up when we got in, in there and I expect it's getting shut down a little bit unless you know Taliban's finally on board with that form of the business.
2: You can't you can't run an opioid crisis without opioids, without poppy fields mate.
3: <laughs> ding, ding, ding.
2: Yeah.
3: And let's not trade moment. makes the world go round, my friends. Absolutely,
2: friend. yeah. I mean it does come back to the drug trade. It does come back to this manipulation. And it, and yeah, it's it's the insanity of I mean, I sat here this morning, and as I said, I didn't do too much research. I wanted you boys to to give me what you had, and you know, I think we could probably do a part two. You know, I don't think I don't think we've we finished. We we basically brushed upon the major topics and dug into a few deeper details. However, upon review, it seems quite obvious to me now that it was some sort of state controlled thing, you know, and it's like. You know, 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, right? If I'd have said to you boys, yeah, yeah, there's the dark elite and they control the world and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, sure there is. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe, you know, I can see that, blah, blah, blah. It's quite clear that that is actually what's going on now, right? I mean, wasn't it the UN the, UN the other day um, passed something to enforce the fact that the world's not run by a series of elites, you know? Well, that's a bit of a weird thing to say, you know what I mean? What, do you, what did he say that for?
4: you will own nothing and you will be happy Triffin.
2: exactly you will own nothing and you'll be happy yeah um look i suppose where do you want to finish boys i mean what do we want to do to 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 tie this one up in a bow i think number one we need to think about another topic i really enjoyed this uh i think we need to because i mean i think it was dan was saying we had our conversation it's like if you don't believe in conspiracy theory just you know mk ultra northwood you know like just the list goes on and on and on and on you know i was thinking what what was the exploding cigar thing i mean how badly they wanted to get castro they were trying to get exploding cigars <laughs> into his into yeah. his cigar case like that was a plan you know like
3: yeah that, seriously yeah. discussed
2: yeah that was seriously that was a serious yeah. plan to get an somebody
3: literally stood up in a meeting and said i've got an idea
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean yeah. they, the the lengths that they won't go to and right. I think the level of awareness and objective understanding amongst those that didn't participate in the last couple of years um, has been very When we, – we're still here, aren't we? You know, I think that's – and that's half the reason it fell apart is that those that chose not to participate stood tall, stood strong and it became quite clear that it was all bullshit, right? Um, and I think, you know, we look back and upon the conversation when I mean, we've been going for two hours now, you know, you look back upon the what we've discussed this morning. How is it not? I think is the question now, right? Hey, someone, you know, anyone, any of the truth is out there. If you disagree with myself or Chris or, or, or Dan, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Unlocking the code nine at gmail.com. Give us your refuting arguments as to what we spoke about today. Because to me now... I need to be convinced that it wasn't an inside job. You know what I mean? Like the, the, this is, I didn't know the depth. I knew the bushes were deep in the, in the narrative, but I wasn't quite sure how deep in the narrative they were. I mean, and I did, I thought about a weird anecdote is that they think that Clinton basically became president because he played saxophone on late night, you know, whatever it was, David Letterman or whatever. Right. He, he showed a, uh, a human side to himself and that's what got him in, but he was a continuation um, of the process, right? There's a band called Hilltop Hoods and I actually play that. You boys would have heard them. If you listen to the podcast, I play their song sometime at the end. They're an Aussie rap band. And one of the, I've got the, I might actually put it in on the front of this one. There's a, they've got a song called 50 in five and it's like 50 years in five minutes. And one of the lines of that song is, a, is a blowjob brought about the fall of a dynasty. Right. And that's pretty much what happened. That put a big, massive spanner in, you know, old Billy Boy's uh, desires didn't help him.
3: <laughs> well, I think that the Clinton presidency also stemmed from his involvement, his early involvement as governor of Arkansas. Absolutely. And associating yeah. like the drug trade. Yeah, yeah, I think well, that he, yeah, he, he was yeah. like one of the inside guys. He knew He knew the score, so he's a safe bet. And, I'm sure they had enough information on him from his various dalliances that he could be controlled,
2: mm. you know? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that that's where Barry Seal landed his planes. That, that's where the, yeah. the, the was, Contra stuff has you know, been you know, done. Why, why, yeah. why, why he was the governor of Arkansas. Like, this is the yep. – it's so easily all tied together. Well, boys, I'll ask you for your final thoughts, uh, and then we might we might wrap this one up for today. Uh, so, Dan, you kicked us off, mate, so you can – What's your final thought on?
4: Yeah, you got it. I mean, uh, I actually been digging that band and listening to them on your show. So I'd say in response to that, though, you know, it takes a lot of careful planning to create a fall of a dynasty Mm. uh, to kind of, you know, go back to our theme. And, um, you know, Operation Northwoods, which was a Cuban operation that was proposed, uh, the part that uh, Kennedy couldn't deal with was that they wanted to shoot down American airliners Mm. with people on them. Mm -hmm. They wanted to stage a false terrorist attack uh, of airliners getting shot down by Cubans so that they could invade Cuba. Mm -hmm. And Kennedy said, no, he's like, that's a bridge too far. I'm not going to do it.
2: We're not sacrificing my own people to, to this game. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So just to bring it all full circle into this world of, you know, clearly this has been being run by the same, uh, the same intelligence mind since world war two and possibly beyond that, if we started digging deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's all be vigilant and, uh, and remember that, you know, if we can hopefully create an era, you know, some type of positivity and, and build enough information and, and get enough people on board to kind of open their minds to what's happening. Mm. Um, especially with all the information available that maybe we can start to fight back against some of this.
2: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, yeah, that's spot on, mate. I think, you know, I talk about all the time, common sense, critical thinking, personal responsibility, right? If you, if you can sit back and employ those three things and apply those three things to what's going on, uh, you know, what has happened, what is happening, then it's quite clear we're being played, uh, like a bloody marionette. And, the only way we can move forward as as a as a society, as a human society, I mean, we're on the same big blue ball hurtling through Infinity Boys, you know, like is recognizing that this is what's taken place. And as you say, it's been going on for a long time. Like Aaron, long before we were born, this this these things have been in play. Uh however, as this generation of men, these evil men, I mean, you know, Dick Cheney's uh he, had his false heart is he still alive i was trying to you he see he's
3: still still alive
2: is he still using yeah. that false heart he's, he's still, still alive. alive oh my god um yeah i remember the jokes about him you know it's like yeah the only person that could have his heart replaced and still live <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um you know i think the this generation of men is passing uh and i, I one of my theories about the the chaos that just happened is that, you know, Rockefeller wanted to see his plan come into play before he slipped off the coil, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that's perfect. Dan, there is a positive side of this and it's, it's objective thinking and object, objective understanding, uh, yeah. and, and realizing that this is taking place. And the more people that we can get to see that and be objective, we've done our job boys. Um, Chris, I'll leave it with you, mate. What do you reckon?
3: I just want to add something that we touched on a little bit in our last talk, uh, Triff, um, that this is a war for your mind. Essentially, mm-hmm. this is a war of information. And the more enlightened you can be about these events and the more that you can critically understand them, I think really helps to define like a proper framework for understanding kind of current events and what we're seeing around us. And I think that we as people can sometimes tend to underestimate our own power and that mm-hmm. um this is not you, you can't fight this stuff with violence you know you're playing right into the state's hands when you do that but what you can do is you can fight back with humor and you can fight back with community and solidarity with beams with that's why i think like comedians these days are some of the most powerful advocates we have um because a lot of them see through the bullshit and, and know how to counter it with proper humor. And I think the more that we can mock and ridicule these fucking crazy motherfuckers that are running all these ops on us. Um, I think that's where we derive our power. And we, we just, we need to take that back and we, we need to um, come together and, and not be afraid to, to stand up and, and mock all of this stuff because it's, it's insane. All of it's insane, and we need to. Everybody needs to objectively understand that, and then we can. Only then can we start to fight back.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, amen, amen. I think you know, just to 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 dovetail on that, Chris. You know, you're totally right. Love is the answer. Humor is the answer. And those of us that held the line, the only reason that they gave up this time, right? I mean, is because of those of us that held the line. I think whatever Mm -hmm. percentage they thought was going to hold the line was more. Um, The protest began to grow exponentially uh, and it became undeniable, right? And people power did that, okay? You know, whoever these dark faces are and whatever resources they have, the reality is we outnumber them 100 million billion to one, right? Okay? Not 100 million billion, that's a bit of an crazy number, but you know what I'm (laughs) saying, right? Um, it would be something like 10 million to one. We outnumber these people if you were to break it down, right? So who has the power, right? The people have always had the power. However, we need to understand that love is the answer, that fear and control, divide and conquer, color, creed, sex, religion, none of this stuff matters. They are all mechanisms to divide us. And the more divided we are, the easier controlled we are and if we just can recognize that and you know I mean we're all fathers right we want our children and our children's children to have at least some of the measures of freedoms that we had and if that's going to take place then it is our responsibility I mean this is you know it's crazy to think that in 60 years time once we're slipped off our coil that our grandchildren might listen to this episode to garner an understanding or our grandchildren's children to garner an understanding of where we were at during these prophetic times. What did we do? Right. And I think that those amongst us need to ask ourselves, what are we, you know, continue to do what we do, continue to do our research, continue to think objectively and just remember that love is the answer boys. And, uh, and with that, much love to you boys. Thank you very much. Uh, this is awesome. We got to do this again. Uh yeah, it's hard to join our schedules together, but we made it. And um, thank you very much. And yeah, you boys always come with receipts, which is what
0: I love.
3: <laughs> thanks, Trevor. Well, thanks for having us, man. I really appreciate the opportunity.
2: Oh, good boys. Yeah, Look after right. yourselves. Yeah. Look after yourselves, boys. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll talk soon. Cheers.
0: Do you want go again? Let's
1: do it. Yeah. Go again. All right.
0: I know you. <clears throat> My time is through I know you I know you